0: talking Dice Masters, the beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play.
1: If you're just starting the game, or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your
0: bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. Hello Dice Masters enthusiasts, and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 4 of Rollin' Thunder. And this episode is a jam-packed smorgasbord that we're hoping is going to help get some of the newer players up and on their feet a little bit quicker. For those of you who are new to the game or think about joining the competitive scene, I want to extend a welcome to you all. Our show today starts with some suggestions for TOs, but if you stick around, we quickly turn our attention to topics that will be useful to the up-and-coming. But before we get into any of that, I want to take a couple of minutes to talk one big weekend. What a tremendous success it's been so far. We originally had hoped to have six to maybe ten venues for the event. And as of recording, we're pushing 20. Now, a great number of them have already fired off, but there's still some upcoming events in the Dallas area at Docs Comics and Games, in Woodbury, New Jersey at Tiki Tiki Board Games, in Wisconsin at Twin Dragon Games, and let's not forget Western Australia at Good Games and Morley. If you're in any of those areas, check out our One Big Weekend page for info on those events at rolandthunder.xyz forward slash obw. And Roland is without a G or an apostrophe. And you can also find links to all the results of the events at that same page, and they'll be updated as they come in. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, go check that out. I want to also take this opportunity to publicly congratulate all the winners, and thank everyone for coming out and play, and especially the TOs for running these events. I especially want to thank Peter Cernak and Bratislava for helping out with additional prize support, and Jordo with DM North for all the design work and the top four back indicator cards, many of which are now in transit to you all. So, remember, the top two finishers from each event are qualified for an online event that we are planning on having Saturday, April 27th. If you finished in the top two at any of these events, you have until April 13th to decide if you'd like to play in the tournament. If for any reason you can't or you decide you'd rather not, uh, your qualification can pass down. So if you finish third or fourth, you still have a chance of playing in the online event should someone ahead of you drop for any reason. Just so everyone knows, we're prizing this event with a factory set that I took home from Worlds, so hopefully that'll entice you to join in. And if you're a little bit nervous about playing online or you've never tried it before, the Dice Coalition has a how-to tab with incredible resources to get you the info you need. Just go to the main dicecoalition.com homepage and look up to the top right to a tab called Online Play. All right, Lucan, let's get busy. Let's do it. All right, today we're going Inside the Inside because we've got the man behind the lore in studio with us to cover the fundamentals. That's right, he's in the inner sanctum of our Sanctum Sanctorum. I have the greatest honor of being able to introduce to you the maester of Dice Masters lore, legend and legality, the touchstone of TOs, a finalist in multiple WKOs, a top 16 finisher at the 2015 World Championships and the number two player of all time in terms of victories on the win. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Robert, the Archivist, Pamilowicz. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. (laughs) Right. Robert, welcome. I'm so so happy to have
2: you in studio, nonetheless. Uh, You get to see how the sausage is made. Yeah, it's wonderful. I wish all you guys out there could see this wonderful studio. (laughs) I mean, it's just glorious. (laughs) The eye of Agamotto is hanging right around my neck right right now. (laughs)
0: There you go. (laughs) All right. So let me ask you, as number two on the win, so obviously you have been around since the get-go. Oh, yes. As as one of the originals, how did you
2: get started? So I was watching the Dice Tower quite a bit uh, with Tom Vassal. He does his reviews, and he did the review of the AVX set. And I looked at this game. I go, wow, that's pretty interesting because it looks similar to a game that I was part of back in the early uh, 2000s, late 1990s, which was called Dragon Dice. It was a game that Wizards of the Coast first put out, and then I was part of the publishing company SFR Inc. that obtained the license for that game. It was basically a combat dice game is what it was, with unique dice of different races, you know, elves, goblins, Etc. Cool. So that intrigued me when I saw the review of Dice Masters, and that was at the time where the starter sets were really hard to get for AVX because they just sold out. It was so popular. WizKids didn't anticipate the great demand they had for them, so it was really hard to get that. And I was able to buy a gravity feed of AVX, which at the time was only wow. 60 packs, right? Right. But they were really hard to come by at that day. And uh, end, right? They were actually easier to come by than the starter, because I was proxying sidekick dice with regular D6s, <laughs> because you couldn't find sidekick dice anywhere. Right, And so I then said, okay, great, I want to go play this game, and I hunted around Southern California. And that's when I came across Comic Hero U in Fullerton. Mm-hmm. and. hmm uh, myself and the owner, Enrique Munoz, we just hit it off automatically.
0: Yeah, great guy.
2: Yeah, and you played there dozens of times, so you know the shop. Mm -hmm. And I then said, well, I'd like to TO the scene there, and that was in the middle of 2014. And we started off with a couple players, and it grew to a high, I would say, of 16 plus. Right. And then it kind of averaged out now. We're down about eight regulars. Mm -hmm. But the scene has been going on for almost five years now. That's awesome.
0: And, and you have any advice for people who are new to the game or have just picked it up with the new LCG format? And they're asking about, you know, how do I start a scene? Any advice for folks like that who are thinking about it today?
2: Believe it or not, I'm going to have a reprint of an article I did the Reserve Pool on how to do that. But really, there's a couple points. First is, having a good store partner is pretty key. I've been very fortunate that Hero U yeah. has been a great partner, I mean, buying the product, staging the events, et cetera, et cetera.
0: He's got a really good relationship with the distributor, too. So that really helps. Really. Right.
2: And it will, and also a good relationship with WizKids mm-hmm. because we are constantly showing in Win that we are running games. Right. And, and we're doing it consistently.
0: I'm going to stop you for just a second there and make a point because I've noticed that. There's a lot of places that play and they don't enter their information into Win. Yep. So, WizKids and and the distributor aren't getting the feedback that oh, there's this whole community out here that's actually thriving. So, if you're playing, just put it into Win. It doesn't matter what your record is. It really doesn't. Just put it in and then they'll have the information and it will help the game.
2: Right. Cuz that's really the only gauge that WizKids has that would say, "Hey, there's a scene here." And then you have to reach out. You know, Don't be passive and wait for WizKids to come to you. You have to reach out. We've we've reached out several times, and WizKids has been very accommodating to us as yeah. far as OP kits, as far as we've already hosted, see, three or four WKOs. So those are the things that get your scene noticed, and then you get more and more support from WizKids in regard to these events or any of these other products.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a self-fulfilling cycle, too, because... Your generosity in terms of OPs and all promos and all that kind of stuff is sort of legendary in the community. So people have naturally just come there because you're you're always been very very generous with that kind of stuff, and right. then that just feeds makes a bigger community, and then these bigger numbers on Win, and it just keeps going. So enter your your information into Win. I guess is the bottom line there. <laughs>
2: The next point talking about how to create a scene is don't uh, restrict yourself to just the standard formats. Uh, be creative. I know that a lot of your scenes uh, are just its very creative. You come up with some of these off-the-wall things. And I'm talking about stuff that's, that's going to tax the players. Not just, okay, let's play an event where all the dice have to be the same color or we're playing with characters that start with a certain alphabetical letter think of some things that really could challenge your players. And not to the point where uh, if you're a new player, you're going to be totally uh, out of your element or off the deep end, but just fun things. Yeah. I like to try to get things where we're going to force people, not
0: force, but encourage people to use cards they might not have used before, just to break off some of the OP combos that kind of can make a casual scene you know, less fun. Let's just put well, it that
2: way. Right? And that's going to get into a couple other points I'm going to yeah. talk about. The, the next is be flexible with rule interpretations. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to have your own house rules, but there are many dice that are just different colors, but they have the same stats on them and a player say can i use that storm die instead of this storm die or, or whatever right. you'll know, be very flexible with that don't be so rigid that you're going to discourage again anything you're going to do to discourage someone to come back you got to be careful with that
0: yeah this is all fun and and part of the thing with our community i think that separates the dice master community from some of the other ones out there is that i can count on my one hand the number of times and i've played hundreds and hundreds of games now where I've had like an unpleasant experience and usually half the time that's me getting frustrated with with my own roles. you know oh, it has yeah. nothing to do with the other player uh, so we've you, all been there yeah you, we just want to you know the whole idea is to come out and have fun and especially with the new justice set coming out with the limited dice numbers just proxy a die from earlier they have the same stats mostly and right. and I can't think of a TO is going to give somebody a hard time I, at least in a casual scene. Now, maybe when we get to like worlds or nationals, you got to be more rigid. But
2: well, w- whenever we have a WKO, normally I'm the one to on it, so I'm not playing. Mm-hmm. And I let everyone, especially our regulars, know that okay, on casual play, I'm a little l- more relaxed on certain things. In tournament play, I'm not at all relaxed. I remember there was right. a time where there was a WKO, and believe it or not, both players had 21 dice. <laughs> okay, right, and then that you would say that's an automatic disqualification. And I said, No, it didn't affect the game mm-hmm. itself. So I just said, you guys, just right. you know, check your dice. But when I and also say rule interpretations, again, be consistent. So if you're gonna be judging, especially, you wanna be consistent in your rulings. Yeah. Uh you obviously wanna make the correct ruling. And in some cases you really gotta think on the fly a little bit because yep. Some ruling, not every situation is spelled out in a rule. For sure. But then you be consistent and again go with the you know, the weaker option, if you will. That's mm-hmm. always good advice. And especially don't rule something that's gonna give
1: advantage to your buddy or what have you. For yeah, sure. Yeah. I so. mean if you're a new player and you're like looking into beginning to like play at a local scene and it's listed under the win as like a tournament and you're like a little bit intimidated by the fact, ooh, it's a tournament, it seems like a big deal, you know, the people are gonna be sticklers, I have to be rigid it's people will accommodate you and it's it's really not a big deal it's just fun and it's no no big deal it's not
0: that way at all and in fact we are very welcoming we're psyched to have any new players come and we're happy to teach you and coach you through things so please come out and play if you want to play and then don't be
2: afraid to ban cards to help your scene. I
1: think. I mean, actually... yeah. Also, when it comes to banning cards, something that you do at Comic Hero U, which I think is really good, is let's take the uncommon Fix It for example. I love that card. I, I like. That's why I banned fix-its. it because it's your card. <laughs> but um, well, you haven't. But until recently, it wasn't banned. Well you banned the common Fix It. The right. uncommon Fix It, you have not banned. Right. And that was that was my Fix It before my Fix It was the common Fix It. So the Hellfire Club, Uncommon, is the card that enables that card to be so strong.
2: And the Hellfire Club is banned.
1: And Hellfire Club is banned. Yep. Because it's it's an enabler. Enablers aren't as fun to play as, like, Wing Cons. You want to traditionally, like, it's more fun to ban the enabler than it is to ban the thing that's actually winning right because then like, you got to be more creative with your win con which is fun exactly more creative
0: you know i think that's part of the i'm glad you brought that up robert because i think that's really part of the to's job because you're going to have pe- people who are spikes and they're just spikes they're they they can not help it they that's where they are and um a to's job is sometimes to just curtail that effect for just to help everybody else who's right. going to be coming and, too. and then the bands do the job
2: right yeah and i don't have a problem with spikes mm-hmm. you know that type of player mentality yeah uh because that's what banning cards helps kind of level that a little bit. Right. Because everyone wants to be competitive, and I encourage competitiveness. But if it's competitiveness to the point of it's not fun, right? Or everyone's going to have to come with the same type of team, right? You know, the old Bard or Wan Tee type situation we've had in the past. Yeah, that's to me not fun. Yeah. You know, I want to have fun. <laughs> Another point is start a league. I think we're on our oh gee, I'm gonna tax my brain here. I think we're on our tenth league now, mm-hmm. and I've I've had a lot of enjoyment. Now I'll give you a word of caution. As a TO, it's going to be work for you. Yeah, it's not just everyone show up and then you haphazardly put it together. Uh, as a TO, you have to organize it. You have to keep the scoring. You have to keep uh, if you're doing a, a a legacy league, the team that wins those cards are now banned from future events in the league. Right. So. Uh, you gotta keep those lists up and all of that. And we have cash leagues in our. So mm-hmm. I think we've passed one thousand dollars total of all our cash leagues in total prize wow. pool. So and I think and I see ours has got a whole stack of hundreds on his <laughs> desk. <at the>
0: <laughs> well I have to say you have done my hat is off to you because when I said you are the TO of TOs, it's it's true. Kamikiri, in the comic hero you and the and the scene you run there is a great example of just how to do this. The leagues, every year we do, like winter, summer. Winter and summer, yeah. Yeah. And summer. yeah, or or spray and, and sometimes spring. sometimes spring, two or three. Or, it
2: depends, but normally two a year.
0: Yeah, and they're great. and And you've really put so much thought. I mean, like right now we're running one that has these lands that you've incorporated extra things. And I mean, I don't want to get into too much detail here, but Robert has put so much thought into building these things and it's it just he adds new wrinkles every time they're they're battlefields they're battlefields they yeah. there's all kinds of really cool things but every league is different it's always fresh and um you know my, i salute you on that because that's can, one of the reasons the scene has continued so strong for all these years
2: yeah and i said my final point for tos is this, uh listen to your players get their input uh, don't think you have all the great ideas i know that lucan you come forward when we did the uh, uh, the Halloween version of, what was that format? Uh, the nappy knockout. That's what it's called. Yeah. So uh, you know, Luke would come up with some ideas and you incorporate those. And that way your players have some vested interest. And in, hey, I'm being listened to and play some stuff that they like to do as well. So all that to me builds a really healthy scene.
0: All right. So we've been promising we were going to do an episode dedicated to the newer players out there. And here we are. So, Robert, when you introduce the game to people for the first time, do you use any analogies to other games to help set the table for them?
2: So, obviously, you're looking at a deck builder because you got cards. But the difference here is it's full disclosure. You're not holding cards that your opponents can't see and you're waiting for them to play a la like Magic, the Gathering, for example. But really it's a kind of a hybrid where you have the dice rolling and then you have a deck building aspect that's full disclosure. Everything's right there and open. But really, I would say chess as far as it's open, but there's a lot of uh, strategy and intricacy beyond just the pieces and the board you see.
0: Yeah, it's got a lot of kind of as, as a hybrid. I mean, Luke always like to talk about it as a is sort of Dominion meets Magic. I mean, what do you think about that, Luke? And what what was your thought on that?
1: Well, it's similar to Magic a little bit, the gameplay aspects as far as, like, combat and fielding stuff. Your main step and your attack step kind of resemble Magic more, Right. but your clear and draw, roll and re-roll, that sort of thing, resembles Dominion more, because Dominion also is a game of relatively ultimate information, because you know what cards are in play, you know what your opponent has bought, if you can keep track of that. It's a little bit more taxing to remember all that stuff in Dominion, especially when you're playing with more than two players. But you can know what's there, and you know what's out there, right? Because all the cards are face-up in the middle of the game, like in between all the players. And also, it's obviously a deck-building game, so you have that same kind of cycle where you buy the thing, goes to the, your like discard pile slash use pile slash whatever that would be, and when your deck runs out or your bag runs out, you refill your bag or deck with all the cards that you just bought or all the dice that you just bought. So that kind of system is the same as Dominion, and uh, the the main step attack step is a little bit more similar to Magic. Also for the resource management, the way that they, you have like gold, copper, silver, that sort of thing in Dominion is kind of similar to energy. In Dice Masters, the way that you buy stuff, that whole part of the main step, also similar to
0: Dominion. Yeah, and one of the things I think that's really cool about the ultimate information system, too, that is in this game and should be less intimidating for new players is that unlike uh, games like Yu-Gi-Oh! or Magic or something where the, all the cards are hidden, and to like really be good at it, you have to learn all 10,000 cards or whatever so you can anticipate what you might see. In Dice Masters, even though there's all these cards you can when you sit down you can ask to read the card across from you so you don't have to commit all the cards to memory so i think that's a nice aspect in terms of you know if you're a newer player it should be a little less intimidating
1: also uh, a tip for veterans would be uh if you come to an event and there's a new guy there, when you play him, it's always a good thing to do, in my experience, to turn your cards around so that they can see what you have, and it also makes them feel welcome at your store.
0: The Craig Hubner tip of the hat. I always like that from Craig.
1: Well, that, that was a subtle change in the rules where you can
2: ask a player what's in their bag and they have to show you. Yeah, You know, that wasn't in the early days. You had no cause to disclose that to your opponent. Yep. So... That even helps more if you're saying, okay, what, what could they draw next? So what's in your bag, your yep. your opponent will show you. You go, okay, they got four dice. They're going to pull that beholder or right. wanty or whatever <laughs> thing. So I know that's coming out. So really the game is wide open in those regards. It's just now how do the strategies and tactics play out right. based on the board state. It was funny.
0: At Worlds, we were asking about that rule because that rule was in Avengers and Infinity and then it had sort of not been put into the Warhammer. Warhammer one. And I think that was an oversight in Warhammer. So we went and talked. And Jimmy was funny. He was like, yes, you can do that. Just don't be obnoxious about it.
1: Don't be like, oh, yes, I'm must <laughs> <Yeah. a C."> see.' <laughs> you know, which
0: is, yeah, don't, don't, don't stall the game. But at critical junctures, that, that can be really helpful, you know, in the game. Sure. All right. So when you sit down, Robert, and you first teach someone who's totally new to gaming
2: altogether, mm-hmm. how do you go about teaching them? Well, as the person who's doing the teaching, set up teams that are not complicated. You want to have teams that don't have a lot of uh, globals on the cards. You want to have all these uh, intricate abilities. You want it to be pretty much straightforward. So then that way you're not caught up in, oh, well, when that card triggers this, this happens, and you're going to confuse and probably discourage a newer player. But like any game, you talk about the objective of what are you playing for here? You want to get your opponent to zero life. Uh, go through the turn sequence Yep. so they know what it is. Then go through the playmat, In other words, what's all these little squares mean and how the dice move? And then just talk generally about combat. Talk about it, but then, to me, once you get to that point in the game, then explain it in more detail because now you have a die against a die, how to attack a block, et cetera. Right. And I also kind of gauge my audience. Uh, for example, if we're doing a uh, comic book day is, is one time where the store will have a lot of uh, traffic And I would set out teams that were popular at the time, Mm -hmm. especially if there was a movie that was just released. Right now we have so many different cards and characters. You can pretty much build anything (laughs) of that flavor, and that attracts especially the younger kids because they say, "Oh, there's Superman," or you know, "There's Wonder what have you." So that that kind of draws in because when you set up a demo area, it pops at you when you got the play mats out and the cards are colorful it's colorful little dice and yep. everything
1: it really it really pops so it's, yeah, got, board, is, it's got table presence it's sure actually really interesting because as of recording this just yesterday i ran a demo for the game at my school tried to get some people into the game i sat up in the middle of the atrium Right, of our school. So people like could see kind of what's going on. People walk by and they'd be like, oh, what's this? Can I learn? And people would just kind of trickle in and it was really interesting.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're going to be actually starting a whole block. You know, they
1: have these... Um, it's like a block system at our school. So you have like periods and whatnot. And he's got enough kids oh, who cool. now want to play a whole block system. I, 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 so I want to go back really cool. to school. Dice Master period. <laughs> it sounds awesome. So yeah, <laughs> like we get one we get one period a week that's just one hour. It's supposed to be like a class. But the thing is, if I can just figure out some way to say, oh, this is probabilities through Dice and make it seem like you're actually learning something, I might be able to finagle this into a block where students can show up.
0: I think it actually is really good in terms of like you are learning probabilities, not just the math aspect, but you're just learning problem solving, which is ultimately uh, an underlying principle of practically everything. Be
2: be careful because that same principle works with craps, right? I'm going to teach people how to gamble.
0: (laughs) Right. All right. So – that's great. You know, one of the things I always like to do too is like right at the beginning, start with a sidekick die and just explain because it's mm-hmm. that's such a unique die and just what you start with, all the different energy types and mm-hmm. what what a character is and and what a wild is. That usually throws people at the beginning.
2: I, one of the things that I found that kind of can throw some new players off is you're right. You explain the energy faces mm-hmm. on a sidekick die, but you also have to say you only need one of those. Right. Energy types to purchase a card. You just yeah. need a total number of energy totaling whatever the number is. And some players think, okay, that's three bolts. I got to roll three bolts. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be very direct, and and everything we're discussing here. I know there's a lot of veterans saying, "Oh, well, that's all very intuitive." Why do you need this is all for the new players? Yeah. This is people who have no idea what Dice Masters is about.
0: Yep, absolutely. Okay. And the other thing I want to mention, really, is that for us older guys, we remember how kind of confounding the old rule books were. But now the new rule book is actually really pretty good. I like it. Yeah. So if you are brand new and you're just listening to this and thinking, how do I get started? And you don't mind reading, the rule book is actually pretty darn good now. I'm impressed by it. So, and you can find links to it at uh, rollandthunder.xyz forward slash dm rules that's all one word so you can get that there and also have a link to the rules forum which is rollingthunderxyz thunder forward slash rules forum which will have all specific rules about questions people had about interactions and things
1: rules forum is also just one word yes all right but for those of you new to the game
0: and and you know you don't like reading rule books there's plenty of people who learn or visual learners or other ways you know lots of different ways to learn i put up a page on our website uh rollandthunder.xyz forward slash new hyphen players and in there you'll find links to all this stuff but one of the things for sure is we've got links to James and Zach's articles and videos on how to play and DM Armada's videos good stuff really good stuff any of those will get you up and running pretty pretty well if you're, if you're new so check those out and that'll get you the fundamentals at the very least Robert, I have a question for you. We, we were talking to Ben about one of the what cards he picked was Doom Lance, And we were talking about using Doom Lance with Deadly. And oh, yeah. Deadly talks about like characters being knocked out at the end of turn. And trying to figure out, okay, when is exactly the end of turn? Because Doom Lance will do all this damage to people. So wh- what do you think about the Doom Lance action card that's coming out in Justice and the Deadly character combo?
2: So the Doom Lance has the condition that says, when an opposing character dies, KO this turn it it's a controller loses one life so right. it's ko'd this turn whereas deadly says dice that are ko'd at the end of the turn so wait a minute this turn at the end of the turn is that the same thing the answer you know is yes this turn is part of at the end okay cool of the turn so deadly is going to be a pretty neat little ability combo with doomland yeah because doomlands forces all opposing characters must lock this turn right
0: so if you make them all block that deadly character they're yeah. all gonna be wiped out and you're
2: gonna take damage from yeah, every single so, one of them. Yeah, dice affected by Deadly would trigger that lose one life effect of Doomlands. Right. So if you if your opponent's got a pretty like like you like to do, aren't you like to put like a twenty sidekicks in the field. Like, right. oh, okay, that's no problem. Just you.
0: Well that's great. we now have an answer to that. The end of turn and Una- uno- deadly is still this turn.
2: Unofficial answer, guys.
0: I think we can probably all agree to play it that way. Yeah. Hopefully, all right. All right, so let's talk types of damage out there. We've we've got two main ones, right? Direct and combat. Mm-hmm. Can you define direct damage for us?
2: So direct damage means it's damage other than combat damage. So let's let's say you roll a certain ability that says deal two damage to your opponent. Right. Okay, That's direct damage, You know, direct to the face or what have you, because it's not resolved via combat. Right, And that's why direct damage effects can get around any elaborate defense that your opponent can do with their dice. So you have all these dice, okay, if you, if you attack, I can do this, I can do that. Well, I'm not going to attack, I'll just do direct damage to you. Right. So... <laughs>
1: There you go. One thing to note also is the difference between life loss and damage. Good point. So, for example, the promo Spider-Man The Amazing from the Avengers era of promos, when he attacks, you pay a certain sum of fists, and uh, then your opponent loses half their life rounded down. Mean. Um, Mean card. (laughs) And this is loses life, not takes damage equal to half their life. So, for example, if your opponent had that uh, Captain America super soldier, which limits damage from opposing character abilities to you to one, you would still be losing half of your life. If you had 20, you would still be losing 10 life because it's losing life. Abilities that prevent damage don't work on life loss. Good point. That's a really good point. Well, that that all started off
2: back in the day with Hulk, Green Goliath, which every time he took damage, something would happen, or you or you took damage. But losing life was not taking damage. So it wouldn't trigger Hulk to do all his shenanigans. Right. So yeah, that's a very keen distinction because life itself is a resource, but how that life is lost will trigger or not trigger certain events. All right, so let's talk some basic glossary terms. What's your definition of ramp and churn? So... I ask everyone to go to the Dice Coalition and read the article I put out on that about ramp, churn, and cull. Mm-hmm. But ramp is the ability to move dice into your prep area so you can roll them on your next turn or be able to draw more than four dice on your next turn. Okay, So that's like ramping up the number of dice you'll roll. Got it. And why is that important? Because that's a resource. Energy is a resource. And if you're only pulling four dice the most, you can then roll potentially in energy would be eight if you roll four two energy faces on all your dice right so obviously you want to buy those better cards five six seven costs that's why ramps important or buy more of the lower cost cards in any given purchase or points. use globals if you need to or right? have energy to do other things right okay so that's why it's important uh churn is the ability to cycle your dice quicker so you can potentially draw those dice on your next turn. Right. And this becomes really important if you want to get a certain die out fast. If it's clogged up in your churn, that means you're only pulling four dice. It could be two or three turns before you get to that die, right. potentially. So, And ramp really helps with this. And ramp. And cull. What is cull? Cull is the ability to remove dice from the churn. Create food and water, for example. You can pull dice from your bag and if you don't like those dice, you can put them in your use pile.
0: I was thinking right. about that rip hunter that allows you to throw three away. You know, that's right. a perfect example. There's that, a lot right? of them
2: out there. But okay, I've got ten dice in my bag. Technically, if I'm only pulling four, that's three turns to go through that bag. Yeah. A coal ability says well, I can pull those dice out and reduces the number of turns I can potentially pull that dice. So coal becomes important. And there's a lot more abilities now that coal die which I like. And to get to the things you need faster. That's yep. great. Okay, you know, you mentioned some of your articles.
0: Let's get into those because you've written so many great ones. It started back in the reserve pool and has moved on to the Dice Coalition. I'm going to link to a bunch of them on the New Players page at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash new players. That's without a G or an apostrophe. And you can find links to the articles we're going to talk about today in this episode's show notes, which you can find at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash one zero four again no apostrophe or g (laughs) yeah that's for season one episode four let's start with your article inside the game number eight the basics of team building okay you you talk a lot about defining the win condition can you talk about that a little bit
2: so you'll you'll hear win con that's winning condition what it is is that's the defining card that's going to win you the game got it and it could be one card or a combination of cards that enable you to pull off whatever the abilities are in those cards to win you the game. Right. And that's the first thing you want to look at with, okay, what is my winning condition? And that's the card you're going to build around. That's the card you want to start off with. Because depending upon what that win condition is, if it does direct damage, if it's through combat, whatever it is, you're going to put support cards around that card that will bolster... You getting that win con in place right. faster.
0: I think one of the things that was interesting in your article too, you talked about like how a competitive team builds, and this day often have a primary card, and then they often have a secondary card right. that the player can switch or pivot to if the primary con is stymied by like say shriek or something, right?
2: Yeah, and this is the beauty of the evolution of Dice Masters that you have more cards. You know, in the early days, you know there was only a few hundred cards. So you really didn't have a lot of variety there. It was pretty much straightforward win conditions. You didn't have a subsidiary win condition. Now, because of the abilities on cards, there's more variety. And and it's good team building, especially at the competitive or elite levels. You always want to plan for if my win con gets shut down for whatever reason, if it's text blanked or I just can't get that die out or what have you. Right. Uh, what, what can I pivot to? Right. And obviously you want to pivot to something that can synergize best with your primary wind condition, i.e. energy synergies or affiliation synergies to build in a second wind condition
1: that gives you another option. Yeah, so a great example of this is um, the Common Fix-It and the Common Hulk, Power of Attorney. Both dice like to use Magic Missile, they're both fists, they're both expensive, so you probably have the same tech in order to get it cheaper, like Ring of Winter or Cree Captain. So depending on who your opponent shrieks, you can just pivot the other way and your team's still going to be good. This is the important part about you have to... They both have to synergize around the same support cards, right? Because a lot of newer players, and when I was new, I did this too, you try to have two completely different directions you can take your team because you haven't experimented with a lot of the cards yet. You like a lot of different varieties of of things. You're like, wow, I like this thing, but I also like this thing and I only get to play in tournaments so often. And you get caught up in this whole idea of, wow, there's so many things. And you try to do like two separate four-card teams. And as a result, you have two four-card teams, which is twice as slow, and you're not going to do very well with those teams. Right. If yeah. you're going to do two win cons, they have to synergize with the rest of your support. I mean,
2: how often did we say, I wish there was 10-card slots for my <laughs> right. Exactly. My, uh,
1: Characters in action.
2: (laughs) Well, this brings up a good point because one of the recommendations
0: you had in the article, which I think was good for new players who were building. When I started building, I tended to build like these crazy combinations that needed me to get five characters out for anything to happen. And guess what? I never got to those things. But, you know, you made the point of looking for all-in-one cards. Such as those that have Overcrush built in, maybe right. like you know that rare Sasquatch from uh, X Men from X Men First Class. You know, those are great cards for a newer player who's just learning to build because it's all in that one card. You don't have to set up three things to get it
2: going, right? right. Right. And again, how are you doing your win con? If your wincon is a direct damage or a combat damage, win con. And overcrush is a great one if you're going to combat wincon. Right. Because, okay, you blocked me, but I can still go in for damage. Can you define overcrush
0: for those who are new to the thing? So
2: overcrush is if I attack and you block, and if you do not block all of my attack value, anything left over goes directly to you right so if i have a a seven attack and you block me with a four defense player three of that damage would go through right provided i knock out every blocker that is put up against me. Yep. So if a blocker survives, and this is where I put a bunch of bubbas against it, because I hope, you know, I want one to survive, because at least I'll block that damage. But I'll probably lose a lot of
1: dice in the in the engagement. That's where a lot of these useful cards come in, like uh, the common Dum Dum Dugan, where you can KO a sidekick and he lives, and you can block this six cost mm-hmm. overcrushing character with twenty attack with your two cost Dum right. Dum Dugan with. To
0: defense yeah there's a lot of like these little weenies like uh dum-dum or uh, bat-mite. batmite oh yeah i saw that Bat Might. i laughed when i first saw batmite then i realized oh my gosh he's gonna totally shut down my bizarro <laughs> but anyway, um, you were talking earlier about if it's direct damage and asking yourself some questions. Like you had mentioned in the article about if it's wind fielded while active, wind damage. Can you talk about what sure. you want to do with those type of dice?
2: Sure. So you have the situation where my wind con is a direct damage application. Right. right? So if it's wind fielded, you need to ask yourself: Okay, think about what the fielding costs are, mm-hmm. and how I'm going to cycle or KO that die so I can continue to trigger my wind fielded effect. A lot of times, oh, that's a really good ability. It's win-fielded. Then it's fielded. And you're stuck. And it's stuck because your opponent will not do things to KO that die. Right. This is the gobby. You know, gobby was a win-fielded effect back in the day. You know, that was a classic example. The next part is if it's while active, it just sits there and does its thing. And I have to figure out some way to protect those particular dice because it's a target. May has a, a lousy defense value so right. it's very susceptible to my opponent taking out my while active die. Right.
0: My mind always jumps to the rare colossus from AVX when I think of these great while active effects that uh, just sit there and that, kill you, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: that was that I call that the time bomb type card. Once once it hits the field it's basically you're on a clock because Unless you've got something, your opponent's going to be doing damage to you.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah every... So, so some examples of what Robert's talking about are some ways that you can make these cycles happen. For example, with one field abilities, truce, fabricate, blue eyes, white dragon are all great ways to get these cards cycling. If your opponent doesn't want to KO them, right. and uh, a great example of like, for example, a card that is. Uh, going to need protection while it's active is a super rare yuan right that guy gets ko'd all the time because it's got weak stats but it's super powerful there are ways out there to protect it like for example the wonder woman that stops all globals from targeting your characters and other cards like sandala simber the uncommon protects herself which is why she's so powerful she can't be breath weaponed out if they have a good character she can't die she's super powerful right
0: Yep, yep. And if you're playing against this, you're a new player, and you see somebody put out a win-fielded character that's going to keep cycling and doing damage to you, do yourself a favor and try not to KO. Try to keep that die in your opponent's field. Chump block it, because you're going to
2: take more damage
1: if they keep cycling
2: it over and over And if again. it
1: only has one defense, let it through. Unless it has like 10 attack. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And right. then the other way of, if it's a triggered ability, if it's a wind damage or win KO, mm-hmm. cards like Hulk, Greek Goliath, or Grey Hunter, counterattack, you'll need a source that can apply damage in measured amounts or the capability to self-KO uh, your dice. That's Fabricate, for example. Right. And I always look, if I'm building a team where I, I have that particular direct damage trigger, I have to have a support card that's going to be taking that die out of my field. Right. Uh, and if you don't, you, you have this wonderful team that's just going to get bogged down.
0: Yep. Okay, you had a bunch of pro tips on this article. Could you run down those? I think they were great and they may yeah, be helpful. Yeah, so
2: pro tip one is unless a card with a global ability is necessary for your win con, don't put it in your team build. Right. Okay, this is going to give your opponent an advantage, i.e. The, an 11th card, in executing their win condition. Uh, corollary to that tip was if the global is not necessary, ensure it can't be used against you. Right. For example, if you have a direct damage win condition hence you won't be attacking, that Blink Transmutation or Hawking Girl or whatever, uh, Global, wouldn't impact that win con. Right. So you don't, you want to do that with your Global abilities. I, I try not to build teams with Global abilities first because I've been in many matches where they've been used against me. Right.
0: I guess the rule of thumb there is like if you're going to put a Global on, make sure you can use it better than your opponent.
2: Right. right? Uh, pro tip two for a vital effect that comes from a global ability, consider having the capability to obtain that energy type in the event of a bad roll. Right. So, placing an energy fixer support card on that team builds insurance to mitigate that risk.
0: For example, if you're really using that Creek Captain Global, you might want to have an energy fixer that can. Change to fists, right? Yeah,
2: especially for those globals that require two of that energy, which is you know that global you just mentioned was a two fist cost. Yep. So, and then the third pro tip is if your team build contains a basic action card that's vital to executing your win condition, ensure you purchase as many of those dice <laughs> as you can the first rounds <laughs> of the game, right. uh, because a savvy opponent's going to see, okay, you got that two cost. I'm just going to buy a couple of those and immediately puts a crimp in your tactics because now you don't have that die. But your opponent now has a
1: bunch of dice that are going to be clogging up their bag. Yep. So an example of that would be like with my fix it team. If I, for some reason, on my first two turns, if I was being dumb in my first two turns, didn't buy one of my proton cannons, you bought up all three of those. You're done. That's that's it for me. <laughs> Realistically, there's no coming back from that for me. I don't
2: know if we said it already, but I think you mentioned it. If you're getting to the point where you got six cards or something to right. that establishing your, you need to go back and evaluate what you're doing here because you have to have protective measures or control measures also on your team. Right. Uh, Because unless you've got a super aggressive, fast team, and again, it's a dice game, so you may not roll your dice when you want them to
1: roll, right? Right. You have to have ways that you can control or limit or even protect yourself. Right. And and this is something that I notice a lot in newer players, right? When they're building their teams, like if your team physically cannot work without six or more cards on the win con, realistically, that's probably a team you should scrap. But what a lot of players do is they, for example, a good example would be um, the uh, infiltrate team. When you're building that team, you might be like, oh yeah, I'm going to put all the infiltrate characters, I'm going to put like two costs, common spot, I'm going to put the rare Ricochet, super rare Angela, rare Black Widow, and the super rare Captain America. Now all my characters have infiltrate and they can't be blocked and I'll be able to kill you in one turn. But... As you're playing that, you might realize slowly you need to start taking cards out of there. You need to say, realistically, how much of this team needs to be here? Probably the Super Rare Angela, probably the Rare Ricochet, and maybe one other. But none of the other stuff is actually that important to the team. You'd be better off putting support there for your Wing Con. And I've seen that a lot,
2: and I've done it a lot in the early days too. A certain keyword or ability, and I've got to have three or four cards with that same keyword or ability. Well, now you come to the realization I got to purchase all that stuff, yeah. and then I got to field all that stuff, and hopefully it, it happens when I need it to happen in my dice roll. In other words, the character face comes up when I want it. Right. So well, why don't I just have one, maybe two character cards of that ability, and I max out the dice on that card. Right. So therefore, I'm not having to worry about buying so many different character dice I can just buy multiple of that one. Now, obviously, all your eggs in one basket, right? So if my opponent can blank or they can do something to nullify that card, and that's maybe why you want to have a, another option. right? But I don't need to have every character on my team with that ability <laughs> because economy's a scale. You're going to have to buy all that stuff and then do all that. No, not worth it, especially when card slots are, are a finite resource here.
0: one last thing I want to talk about this article before we move on to the next one is the synergies and energy type and affiliation. Right. When would you go mono energy or multiple affiliation? What's what's your thought on that?
2: So mono energy reduces variability. So I don't need to have several different types of energy come up at specific times for me to buy the cards required for me to get my engine rolling. Mm Mm-hmm. But now you've got abilities out there that can really stifle a mono energy team. But it's all a matter of, since it's a dice game, if all I need to have are bolts, then I've got a one-third chance on all my sidekicks to roll a bolt. It's either a wild or a bolt, right? Right. And then when I start buying my bolt characters, they're always going to have bolt energy. So I'm going to have bolt energy for everything I need. I don't need to worry about... Okay, I gotta roll a fist and a shield and this and that in order to buy stuff. So, as well as uh, you have to look at your globals too. So, you wanna have that same energy for the globals you want to utilize as well. Yeah. So, at the beginning, if you run a mono energy team, you may
0: run into trouble right at the beginning. You know, you may have a bad role at the first and you can't buy anything, but then later in the game, you're going to get the energy you need but, to buy but the first But characters. there's
2: a remedy for that now with energy fixer. Yep. Now, take my Bolt example, I, I had a one third chance, but now with an energy fixer, I have a 50% chance yep. because it's a sidekick that I can convert to <laughs> the energy I need. So really, I have a 50% chance on all my sidekicks with an energy fixer to roll the energy I need to roll. Right. And that's pretty good odds. Right.
0: And in Clayface, the new Clayface Global makes that even better, right? So. Yeah.
2: So that's mono energy, But then you're also opening yourself up to... Yeah. Uh, countermeasures that can <laughs> that can pretty much kill you if that particular <laughs> countermeasure. Huh?
0: Right, which is one of the beauties of the game, right? There's a certain point where you're gonna just gonna you make your team and you hope you don't see something else because there's there's an answer to pretty much every team. Out That's there.
1: another thing that you have to keep in mind when you're building your team. You can't counter everything. But you do. There are certain things that you're going to lose if you don't have a way, at least a little bit, around it.
2: Well, the other part, what what said the other part was affiliation synergies, right? Uh, You know, cards like Team Up or other things that, if a Justice League character is in play, like the Green Lantern, I think has some abilities in the new set that that helps with that. Affiliation teams again run the risk Mm -hmm. of can be controlled or stymied, depending upon what your opponent has. But having all that affiliation, especially if it's a very common affiliation, like villains, for example, you know Norman Osborn is just one of those cards. That just really, and you know Malakith, these type of things really help you with an affiliation synergy. Yep. And then team up goes the opposite way. The more affiliations you have out there, the better. So right. that's cool. All right. Well, so that's the advice on
0: team building. Let's move on to the inside the game number four article you wrote for okay. Dice Coalition and it's strategically blocking and attacking. Before we get into the specifics of the article, what are your overall thoughts on Dice Masters being a game that has a built-in defender's advantage?
2: So you have the built-in defender's advantage only if you view this as a dice combat game. right? But with abilities that can inflict direct damage, that defender advantage is greatly reduced, in, in my opinion. So if it's strictly, like I said, combat, Yes, the defender can do because the once blocked, always blocked, and a little measly sidekick can block a twenty attack. You know, those right. things give the defender an advantage. Okay,
0: so let's let's start talking about that a bit. Let's get into the blocking strategically and the inherent advantages. When your opponent attacks through the die, you have, you know, a straightforward decision to make, block or knock block, right? Right. What are, what are all the strategic layers that are in that?
2: So before you decide to block, kind of think ahead and ask yourself these questions. First is why did your opponent attack <laughs> With the die. Right. Especially if that die has an effect of wind damaged or while attacking, things of that nature. You know, it's triggering some type of effect. Or it's maybe forcing you to do something. Or maybe it's a wind fielded that wants to be cycled, right? Right. So you you're have to look at if I KO that die, does it also do other things that aid my opponent? So why did they attack with it? Right. Then ask yourself, are they intentionally trying to KO their own characters to give themselves ramp or, excuse me, to their win con? Mm-hmm. So should you help them do that? You're right. All right. Depends if you're gaining tactical advantage by doing that. Clear their field if you say, I'm not going to block, let that die through, clogging up their churn but you're also taking damage in that case. So you have to be careful. Ask yourself those questions. Now, there's a couple of pro tips. Use your opponent's attackers to KO your blockers and give yourself additional dice on your next turn. So a ramp opportunity for yourself. Okay, great. And then the other pro tip is take advantage of an opponent's attack to block with one of your dice having a win-fielded ability so you can cycle it. If they're not looking at your potential blocking, so they're making the mistake on the strategically blocking side of it, saying, oh, great, I'm glad you attacked with that, so now I can go ahead and get that KO to cycle it. Right, yeah, so, right.
0: Okay, so that's, that's blocking strategically. How about attacking strategically? Any, any-
2: So again, you kind of got to flip it. Why did you attack with that die? Uh, what would be the outcomes if the die was blocked or not blocked? And how does that decision to attack impact the game state? Okay. So those are the things that you have to look at. So remember that the defender has a lot of choices, which led to your statement earlier about the defender advantage. Right. They can block or multi-block and has an advantage in that they can get to re-roll their KO dice Mm -hmm. plus the additional four they're going to draw before you re-roll yours. So if I'm the inactive player in my blockers, that's my ramp. The KO dice are my ramp for my next turn. Right. So that's why abilities that send KO dice to use, for example, a uh, Raza Peace Through Domination is a really good card, mm-hmm. or Namorita was another one I think was used in a couple of world Oh, yeah. She was surprisingly uh, strong. Yeah, you know? Aquatic Beauty. Those things, why they're relevant, because that takes away from the Defender those dice to roll on the next turn because those KO dice go to the use. pot.
0: The last article I want to talk to you about today is uh, Inside the Game, article number three, reconnoitering your opponent or reconnoitering your opponent, depending on the tomato-tomato situation we're in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you what do you mean by reconnoiter? And and then maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
2: So again, reconnoiter is just basically taking an evaluation of the situation before you do anything. That's basically what reconnoitering in a nutshell is. When you sit down to play everything's in front of you. The only thing that's hidden is your opponent's attention. And even if you know the cards real well, you can kind of guess that based on what cards they brought. So you see all the information you're going to need. So take stock of that. So the first thing is... And this is pretty much a, uh, a player courtesy, I'll call it, is what globals do you have? Yep. Okay, And I always will tell my opponent I have this global. That, before they even ask, I'll say, I have this global, this global here. And, uh, and if it's a global that my opponent's not familiar with, I'll sh- give them the card. Yep. They can look at it. I won't tell them why I put it on my team. Right. But at least they'll, they'll know what the global is. And they can determine what my strategic plan is on their own. I'm not going to give them that. So that's the first thing. It's very easy to do. So if a card with a global ability has one die on it, yep. most likely your opponent has no intention of purchasing that die, Yep, assuming that the card is not a max of one. They got that card on their team strictly for the global ability. Got it. Which is why, if you have less than 20 dice on all the cards, right. add an extra die on those cards so it kind of masks your intention a little bit. Got it. That's clever. Okay, cool. And then the next thing about reconnoitering is looking at their primary and secondary win conditions. Right. Some things will be pretty obvious. If you watch the meta or you're kind of keeping track of what teams are being played, you kind of know, okay, that team does this. So you pretty much know what the win condition is. But knowing your opponent's primary win condition... Uh, will enable you to disrupt their tactics and better counter their strategy. So if you have a team engine that needs to take a little time to build up, I may want to switch to attack that goes into control right. so that I prevent my opponent from getting their win con up before I can stabilize the board set. So often overlooked and a little more difficult to determine is the potential secondary win condition. Right. Because your opponent can pivot to that in the event that their primary gets stymied, right? Yep. And it
0: also seems like one of the things you're evaluating here early on is who has the faster team.
2: That's right. So if I have a team that takes a little time, I know that. Right. Hopefully you know that, right? And my opponent's win condition is something that's very fast, and that's why you have to have more cards than just your win condition cards in your team. You have to have some control stuff,
0: or you might have to shift your own style. Like I remember yeah. sitting down and playing against uh, Jimmy at Worlds, and he drafted. He had he had his incredible Darkseid draft. He, he, he draft. He got draft. He got side and Parademon, and I, I just had the uncommon Catwoman, and I just decided oh, the only way I win this game because he had inevitability on his side. Was just if I can just spam Catwoman as fast as humanly possible at yep. that stage, and I was just able to do it by the skin of my chinny chin chin, <laughs> you know. But it was really fun, and it it really that that game all tilted at the very beginning with with reconnoitering what he had going on on the yeah. other side.
2: And if you don't recognize the win condition, some clues to look for. Uh, look at the energy type and abilities on the low cost cards. That's always a key indicator. These cards most likely will be the ones first purchased either to generate energy or set up the other effects. That facilitate the win con so examining what they do in conjunction with the abilities on their other cards you can probably decipher a win condition if it's not readily apparent i always say the first three turns are pretty much choreographed you're not going to deviate too much from those first three turns so looking at what your opponent buys is going to give you some insight but uh, after that it's like fog of war you know all of a sudden <laughs> right. every, you have to kind of adjust to what the game state is
0: got it are there anything else you look at besides these globals and and uh, win cons? So what, what look, else at,
2: do look at the action cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, in most instances, action cards on a team support the win con, the exception being action cons that are win cons in and of themselves, like Lantern Ring, for example, is sure. a very good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing what action card does can lead you to what the win con may be. Because again, it's all open information. Right.
0: And if the win con is on a basic action, you mentioned this earlier, maybe a good strategy would be just to buy them out from under them before they can
2: purchase their own win con. Yeah, right? again, why? Why? I'm going to go with the assumption that every card on my opponent's team is there for a reason yeah they have two basic actions why are those there it's to have a global then i say can i use that global myself that's why if resurrection or villainous pact is pretty common i won't bring it because likelihood my opponent's going to have it right. so why waste one of my slots for a card that i'm going to probably see used against me is that basic action essential for their win condition? Right. That was your whole vicious struggle type situation. If I saw that, yeah. I definitely wanted to grab those dice as quickly as possible. Right. Is that basic action their ramp engine? Do you buy that out from under them? If it's not a global, so they lose their ramp. Right. Or is that basic action a poison pill? Yep. Uh, you know, try not to buy that die if it doesn't contribute to your team. Yep.
1: So poison pills are useful when playing against stuff like Ultraman or Beholder when all four basic actions are going to be used. You can poison the actions and then, sure, they can use all four actions, but they're going to have to to give a little in order to get that effect.
2: Right.
0: Right. That's great. And so is there anything else? So now we're looking at globals. You're looking at trying to decipher their win con. You're looking at their action cards. And then I think the last piece that you had said, take a look at their pieces of control. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So how are they going to prevent or thwart you from doing what you want to do? Right. So do you have a better way to counter and mitigate their control card's impact? If it's a a basic action die, maybe you need to buy that yourself quickly. Right. Look at globals that are control effects if you think you need to save energy. Or imagine a strategy of how you can best play around those globals. Good point. This is the whole shriek versus shriek type battle. Yep. And normally you'll kind of want to wait until your opponent triggers first because yep. then you can shriek their shriek and then it's out of the way, right?
0: <laughs> okay. Well, this leads me on to, I think, this whole idea of the, the globals that are control effects. Because you are a player who, having played you, oh, God, countless times now. Oh, dozens of times. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you love to use the globals for control effects. And that gets us into our next section, which we like to call. Breaking, breaking it, it down. down. So, for our breaking it down, Robert, I've asked you to pick out a taunt deadly combo that you particularly love to use and explain how to set it up and get it rolling. So,
2: I hand it over to you. So, the the one I really like, I haven't played it that often, but I really like it, is Poison Ivy Red mm-hmm. and the global Raza ghoul The one hard. that takes the villain affiliation. Yeah, the, the global that takes away the villain affiliation. Can you remind the listeners what uh, Poison Ivy Red does? So Poison Ivy is when she blocks or is blocked by a non-villain character dice, she gains gedly till the end of the turn. Mm-hmm. So, And can prevent all damage to Poison Ivy by non-villain character dice, which means she's not going to get knocked out. Right. Boy, she does so many things, I mean, including surviving dragons, right? Right. So... That's why the Raza Ghoul global comes in, because it takes away the villain affiliation. So now you're all she's <laughs> dealing with is non villains. Right. And then she has deadly. So boom. Anytime she's engaged, whether she's attacking or she's blocking she's going to do her deadly. So I love that combination.
0: And you like to pair it with a taunt, and and maybe you could explain the taunt. Yeah,
2: so so the taunt is forcing your opponent's die to attack or to block, depending on what the taunt is. Right. So now I have Poison Ivy with deadly. I have a way to, if you have a villain, I can get rid of your villain affiliation. And now I can just throw that taunt on you, force you to attack. Or to block. I put a poison ivy against you. She's not going to get knocked out because she's not going <laughs> yeah. to take damage. And you're gone. Right. So it's a great control measure to eliminate your key dice. And if I have any other things I haven't thought about that move KO dice to used, yep. then I can then further disrupt your churn by taking the KO dice out of your uh, prep area. It
0: is super strong. So going back now to your previous article, if you're sitting down and you're reconnoitering your team, I'm taking a good look at that taunt. And I'm looking at that Deadly, and I'm starting to think, okay, what do I need to play
2: around that? Because that's going to be a headache, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Any advice for people who see your team coming, and, and uh, what should be maybe thinking in this case?
2: Well, the thing with Deadly is, especially if it's comboed with things that force everybody to block, Yeah, it's really hard to get around. So if I've got some way to blank that card... Yep. In this case, Poison Ivy is the is the linchpin. Yep. I want to get that card blanked before you set up your ability to taunt my shriek out. Right. Now, thinking that, okay, that's a way to counter me. I'm going to have some way to taunt your shriek. Right. So that way it releases the blank you have on my Poison Ivy. And now I've got Poison Ivy back in play to do my shenanigans.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking of all the chess moves here. It's like I'm thinking, okay, right. maybe I can get out Scarlet Witch to stop you from rolling that Doom Lance, which is really going to wreck me against your Poison Ivy, but then you're going to try to taunt off my Scarlet Witch. Right. And so, you know, it's just a layered, layered conundrum,
2: and, right? And, yeah, and the other things that I mentioned about that Poison Ivy Red, she's got a, a low purchase cost. She's a three purchase cost. Yeah. And her total fielding cost, in other words, the sum of all her levels of fielding costs, is a one. Yeah. So she's a zero, zero, one yeah Uh, first second third level so she's an economical die yeah she's not costing me a lot to get her in play that's why i really like that particular combo i can i can do a lot of fun things with that i like deadly that's one of my favorite keywords awesome
0: all right well cool we're running out of time so let's move on to justice doom patrol mystic spoilers i asked you to pick three and have at it
2: so I, I'm going to take Ping first. It's a it's a purchase cost two, and what it does it deals one damage. It has boomerang on its burst, either single or double burst. Uh, with a tune yeah. being a big thing right now, that card is going to really ramp up a tune teams. Yes, it is because it's low cost, so you can buy two in the first turn mm-hmm. if you're rolling four dice, and you get one of your tune characters rolling, which you have a lot of low cost tunes you're now going to be doing some damage. So it's a it's a great little engine. Yeah, and you don't even need Mr. Miracle to get it humming, nope. right? So,
1: okay, on my review, <laughs> I criticized this card and you said did. it's pretty mediocre. The reason why for that primarily is because this is just not better than thrown brick the way I see it because thrown brick is more consistent coming around. Boomerang is a kind of meh keyword because majority chance... You're not getting that action die back. Well, and you 50-50 no, 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 it it's not 50-50 because first you have to roll the action yeah. die and there's a 25% chance that that doesn't happen. Now you have a 50% chance, and it's actually less than that on this die because it only gets boomerang on the burst and double burst. Okay. Right? Yeah. So it's it's a lot it's, there's a lot more consistency with thrown brick here. And I don't even like thrown brick that much, you know. I like thrown brick. It's powerful, but there are better options for attuned teams, if you ask me. Don't tell Ben I said that because you know that's I don't know. It's as really as good. The board, problem
0: with thrown but... brick is it's also it's so cheap that your opponent can buy it out from under you, right?
1: But ping suffers yeah. from the same thing.
0: Yeah, your
2: opponent could buy two of your three dice. Yeah,
0: but the good news about ping that I hear what Robert's saying is it plays very well with attuned teams and it might not play so great for other teams. So it may be one of those things where, where unlike Fleur and brick, which is pretty much great on any team. You're not helping your opponent as much as you're helping yourself with with Ping. I think that's what he's trying to get at
2: here. Yep. The other card is, we talked about Deadly, and you got Plastic Man, Patrick O'Brien. Mm-hmm. It's a purchase cost 4 So it's low on the high side right. But I don't care, I'm not buying it It's the global I want uh-huh. And the global's target can block another Ooh. die Rahu, yes, So you're deadly. You're I, right. I got a deadly die And I throw that global on it And boom, now I can take out two characters for for one Yep. And if I have my little poison ivy red on
1: there I, I can just do some other shenanigans
0: And she's but. not going away because of her villain things I
1: mean, Is Patrick O'Brien a mask or a shield? Like the global is a mask But is a character die a I don't mask? know,
2: I don't know but I'm not going to buy the character. <laughs> well, you know, it
1: could be useful with like the new Bizarro Global if it's yeah. a shield synergized. Well, it, it has
2: retaliation. That's it's a card ability. But if I'm going to play that, I'm playing it just for the global. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then fi- a lot of people are talking about Parasite Maxwell Jensen. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a purchase cost two. Uh, total feeling cost of three. Yep. You can just do so much with that. You got the Insect Plague Global, Pox <laughs> yeah. uh, poxwalker Mindless, or Wanty, the Lesser. Oh yeah. Uh, and those are why, because for Wante, if you use an action, it's unblockable. Yeah. For Poxwalker, if it attacks alone, it's unblockable. So now you got Parasite that adds its stats, which are, what is it, three, three, four, yeah. I think? They're no, no joke. So you add that. And also you have Improvised Weapon, which is a purchase cost one action die. And what that does is you roll a die in your use pile. And if it rolls a character face, you add that attack yeah. onto another die. Uh, and if it rolls an energy, you prep a die. Okay, so now you, yeah. you can get that in play. If you get an improvised weapon, which you can buy three of them on your first turn. Yeah. And then if you have a tune, those are going to trigger a tune damage as well as what you're going to do with the unblockable
1: going through. You can end up doing, you know, seven, eight, nine Oof. damage. Improvised with- weapon, common Yonti, Maxwell Jensen. That's me. There it is. That's oh, my. That's my. Yeah, uh, that's real, my. Man. That's my one big weekend. <laughs> there you go. It, let me question question for you.
0: What, on his card, does he say add the, his printed attack? Do you Do you have the card in front of you, by any Oh,
1: Maxwell Jensen. Two cost bolt. A legion of Doom and villain. While parasite is active, instead of declaring parasite as an attacker, you may add his attack and defense to an attacking character die. You may do this once for each of your parasite character dice that do not attack, and he's a two cost. So with big entrance, I, I'm not a fan of the card, but it's powerful.
0: I just—it's not even his printed attack. So you could go ahead and throw on like some of those Novacore uniforms or Novacore dice onto him, and he suddenly now you're adding five, seven, whatever. Yeah, you know, that's just
2: mean. <laughs> and the action die—if you're running an tune team—whenever uh, <sighs> you place that Novacore, that's another attune damage. Yeah, wow, that's wow. that's a, that's a great card. It really is a great card. Prepare to see that card a lot, everybody. <laughs> and then the last one is that Scarecrow Professor Psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a purchase cost four, total fielding cost of three. And it's when an opposing sidekick is KO'd, you lose a life. Mm-hmm. So you got Valendra Shadow Mantle, yep, which minuses one, one to any character that's fielded, which KO sidekicks immediately. Right. But I would say go with Iron Fist pulling punches from the defenders because it's a lower purchase cost. It's a purchase cost five card. yeah, But- Place instant war in there, which forces you know psychics <laughs> to be fielded. So yeah. now you have fodder, yeah. and then you've got a whole bunch of weeny characters that KO psychics. Got yep. Casey Jones penalty box. You got Black Widow, Red Alert, Plague Marine, uh, Pustulant Intestines. Ugh, a There's that out. one doppelganger from and then, uh, Spider-Man. Maximum coverage. that one and Ricochet loner. Yeah, you got a lot of options in there depending upon under synergies, energy type, or affiliation synergies. Yep, you can throw on that team, and now you're basically your opponent can't avoid what you throw at them yeah and it just
0: slows them down because they can't feel sidekicks basically right,
2: now, right exactly this set's going to be really fun i, I agree can't, i can't wait till we get our hands on it and start playing with I it. i
0: know and i'm fired up for the black dice all right well let's move on to a section we like to call roll it blunder blunder, blunder. <laughs> For Rollin' Blunder section, we always ask our guests to select a memorable game error they've made that they'd feel comfortable talking about that might be instructive to us listeners. Um, Kind of a we learn more from analyzing
2: our mistakes kind of moment. So,
0: Robert, did you uh, have anything you would like to share with the collective community? Not not a lot, but
2: (laughs) I I, I have kind of a couple. The first one, I'll do it in time sequence. So this was at the 2015 Worlds, Mm -hmm. and at the time, the Yu-Gi-Oh! set was pretty prominent. So one of the and I hate this die, but I had to play it because of what it did is ring of magnetism, right. uh, action attraction. And not realizing I I obviously knew it because I put the dice on the card, but it's a max three dice. Right. I was playing against Sean Eli in this one match and he managed to get Jinzo up, so I just slap a ring of magnetism on it. It's like cool. So he got another Genzo. He got all four of his Genzos out. <laughs> and you and, only had three. And I only had three rings of magnetism. And I thought, oh, that just... Because the likelihood of getting four Genzo, because it's a six purchase cost, what a cool, right?
0: That must have been a cool game. Oh, It was.
2: Uh, it was. But it was like, and we both just laughed. We're like, oh, that would never happen. Like, you get your fourth Genzo. Yeah, you guys were good friends, too. Oh, time, yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. Well, we were yeah, did uh, Dyson on there for a long time. Right. Uh, and then finally, uh, the WKO and Modesto, I think it was in 2016. 20- 16 or 27 I don't remember Uh but uh, I was playing and I did the same mistake that many of us have done is I missed lethal so not doing the math and then then now fortunately it wasn't a final eight match but it was a qualifier and it was my first game of the Swiss so I I went because I messed up I went oh one right and so like uh uh-oh you know I'm already behind the eight ball a little bit but that was, that was one where, and here's the funny thing is, there was people behind me, and I could hear them whispering, you know, right. and you're not wanting to listen because you don't want them to cue you onto doing things. Right. But they both said afterward, you, know, you had lethal. And I go, yeah, I know you guys made me nervous because I don't know what the hell I was doing. Because I'm thinking, I'm missing something right. here, whatever. But that's kind of the two blunders. Yep. And that's why you, know, you see poker players that wear headphones. Yep. Wear, wear headphones.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like one of your pro tips way back when, when, when you were talking about combat, always check for lethal. And you'd be surprised how often, you know, especially if you're locked into a direct damage strategy and your mindset is just thinking about that. Take a look, and you might actually have on the board enough damage just to
2: walk through. Right. right? So that's kind of my little blunders out of many, many, many. Sure. I, I, what was the game you and I played? I, I still remember this. Where <laughs> Okay, so for those of you on the radio here, Arge and I played dozens of games. Right. And normally our games come down to each of us have less than five life, yeah. right? Because yeah. we're just battling back and forth. And I think he pulled some trick. I had about one or two life. And I was at 20, I think, or, or I was high. I was above 15, I think. <laughs> right, yeah. And... And I'm thinking, okay, I got him. And he pulled some little combo trick. I don't remember what it was. I think it might have been uh, Phoenix Thor. I don't know. It was something. It, it was like it. it all he got the god roll right. Yeah. yeah all the, the dice hit. And I walked out of the shop and I screamed, okay. And and, and I was like, ah! and and. And everyone around the area, there, like, like, what the hell just happened, you know? And and I wasn't mad. I was just like, this can't. I can't believe this. You know, I just had to just give a shout, you know. Yeah. Those but, games are
0: always great, win oh, or lose, fun. because you know it's just
2: that was fun. That, that was really because I, I thought, and I think you thought, I, you know, I was like, well, oh, okay. I knew I was, I was,
0: yeah. My, my mouthpiece was, you know, out in the front row somewhere. I was bleeding out of every. <laughs>
2: But but you're right. It was a fun. It was a fun game. That's. I had fun. Even though I, you know, you pulled that shenanigan (laughs) on me. But it was fun. It was really fun.
0: All right. Well, that concludes our roll blunders for the day. Let's go on to a section we love to call the The Hall Hall of Fame. All right, so for our Hall of Fame section, we ask our guests to nominate one retired or semi-retired player for our imaginary Dice Masters Hall of Fame. At the end of the season, we will count up all the nominations and induct one player into the
2: so-called Hall. So, Robert, who would you like to nominate? So this gentleman, for those of you that have been around a long time, probably read a lot of his articles on the Wits Kid site especially about how he broke down Professor X-Ramp, how it worked earlier. He was one that got me into Dysonon, and his name is Nick Fan. All right. And Nick, he was a staple in the Dice Masters scene early on. He was in many elite tournaments. For sure. And he was one of the co-founders of Dysonon. So I nominate him in awesome. the Hall of Fame. Uh, great player. Like I said, he was one of those guys because that's just his profession. He's an engineer yep. or a programmer. I can't remember which one, but he's he deals with mathematics. And he could figure out the probabilities and the likelihoods of what's going to happen on the board just by what the game state was. Yeah.
0: Super nice guy too. And I'm going to use that as an inspiration. I'm going to uh, link in the show notes, and I think I'm going to put it in our new players page too, to his articles on how to PXG and the mathematics behind PXG. Because pxg is still really a thing in any golden tournament and that new players really right. ought not know how to use and it's a really a great article really it really shows how what a great, great mind he is
1: if you even if you never play golden it's still useful to know how to play pxg because it'll help train your mind just for the flow of the game and how it works like. and
0: the advantages of having ramp and churn
1: well again it's a dice
2: game right and the dice game inherently has you know probabilities based to it so the more anyone understands how those probabilities work, it just gives you, uh, I would say, more of a competitive edge. And uh, Nick, to me, is one that epitomized that because of just how he could break down, okay, if this is the game state. This is likelihood you'll get X if you roll so many dice or whatever the game state is. So it really it gives you a deeper fundamental into the game. So uh, I put him up. I think good choice. Awesome, I I completely agree. So, Nick Pham,
0: you have been nominated, Yay. for the Hall of Fame. All right, Robert. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time with us, and again, uh, you know, being so generous as 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 you always are. I, so, I, I
2: salute you for your generosity one more time. Here. Thank you very. I'm glad we can do this in person. You know, we both live in Southern California. Absolutely, it's a sunny day. You know, it's been raining. We got snow in the mountains here. For those of you that are in other parts of the country that yeah, I don't want to hear that. 20 feet of snow. <laughs> it is gorgeous. Here but today. it's a beautiful sunny day here in yeah. Southern California. So again, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate oh, oh, yeah. the invite and, and talking with you all. And
0: uh, we'd love to have you come back in the future. Um, you sure. know, We didn't get a chance to talk a lot about your particular teams because we were talking new players and new scenes in this particular episode. But right. in the future, I'd love to have you come back and, and talk about maybe even your one big weekend team that you've got brewing here. Ah, so.
2: uh, probably. Uh, yeah, see, yeah, I I'm not, I'm not a I'm not like other people that you probably you know you had Shadowmeld on Patrick earlier mm-hmm. and everything I, I, they're the Brewers what have you I just like to look at the concepts of the game and and, and more of the uh, the scene organizing. Yep, I have fun doing that and just playing for fun. So. Well,
0: well, maybe we'll have you come back and talk about you know all of one of your leagues and really break down sure. the league because I think that could be instructive to a lot. Oh, of people. Oh yeah,
2: that, there's a lot of good stuff there. But uh, that I'm not. A, if you're looking for me for brewing tips, uh, you're looking at the wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, thank you, Robert. Take care. Bye. Puzzle time. Alright, great. So before we get started with the answer to last week's puzzle, we'd like to do a little bit of house cleaning. So, the first thing is, we'd like to apologize to the people of Fullerton, California, because when we announced the events, we said that the event was in Los Angeles, instead of saying it was either in Southern California or Fullerton. So, to the people of Fullerton, we are sorry. <laughs> Los Angeles has not annexed you yet. The second
0: thing is that we didn't have time to actually create a puzzle this week. So bear with us until next week. We've got one cooking that I think is going to be pretty good. So we're just going to read the solution to last week's puzzle today. And
1: then next time around, we'll
0: have another puzzle. So who was our super sleuth this week?
1: Well, again, it was Craig <laughs> Um, So, yeah, I'm just going to read his answer. All right. So here here it goes. Let's be clear that I'm going first in this scenario, because I want to. Turn 1. Roll 3 sidekick dice on energy and purchase a create food and water die. At the end of the turn, there is 1 basic action die and 4 sidekick dice in the use pile. Turn 2. Roll 4 sidekick dice, 2 on mask energy, 1 on sidekick, 1 on any energy, and field the sidekick, purchase an orc knob, and perform the heimdall global. At the end of the turn, there is 1 basic action die, 1 orc knob die, and 5 sidekick dice in the use pile. There are two sidekick dice in the prep area, and there is one in the field. Turn 3. Perfect draw pull the basic action, orc knob, and two sidekick dice, and roll them with the two sidekick dice from the prep area. Get two energy on the basic action, double masks on the orc knob die, and any energy on the four sidekick dice rolled, except for one fist. Use the Billy Club Global to make the sidekick die in the field zone become a mask energy in the reserve pool. Now you have 9 energy to buy Stompa. At the end of turn, there is one basic action die, one orc Knob die, one Stompa die, and five sidekick dice in the use pile. Turn four. Pull the three sidekick dice from the bag and refill the bag with the dice in the use pile, including Stompa, and now perfectly pull out the Stompa die and roll those four dice with Stompa on level three, one sidekick die on the sidekick face, and two sidekick dice on any energy face.
0: Field Stompa. So that's really great, Craig. You got Stompa in the field. In four turns. In four turns. Now, of course... You uh, went on to complain about the fact that this was highly unlikely. And indeed, you know, we got to do what we got to do to save Daredevil. You know, we gotta, we got to plan for that Doctor Strange one-in-a-billion possibility. But if you wanted to increase your odds, there is another way to get Stampa in the bag turn forward. Not necessarily on the field, but in the bag. So to do that, you would roll three energy on your first turn, buy a Create Food and Water... On the second turn, you would roll 3 wild energy and a sidekick. You'd buy an orknob, cake, use the create food and water global once, drawing a sidekick, use the billy club global to pull one of the sidekicks out of the field, and on your opponent's turn, do another create food and water global, pulling another sidekick out and adding it to your use pile. Then, at the beginning of turn 3, you have 6 sidekicks in your use pile, and in your bag, you have 2 sidekicks, a create food and water, and an orc Knob, so you've got a perfect four pull. You roll them all, and you roll Cake on its action face, orc Knob on a double energy face, and two sidekick dice on the wild energy face. You use the Cake Global to put all the sidekicks back in your bag, play the Create Food and Water action, and prep all the sidekicks from your bag. You buy another orc Knob, and on your opponent's turn, you use the PXG Global to field another sidekick. You roll everything, Wilds on the sidekicks, double energy on orc Knob's, Double energy on the cake, and you buy Stampa with energy to spare. You cake Global into the bag in your main step of turn four, and complete the puzzle. Okay, so that's our puzzle. Stay tuned next episode for a new puzzle. Well, Jeroen
1: Lucan. That's right. We hope you new players got something out of this.
0: And next episode, we plan on getting into the results from One Big Weekend, and possibly talking about online play, if you guys are curious about it. Until then, Slang of all, enough said. Well, that's the end of Turn 5, my friends, and it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at RolandThunder.xyz without a G or an apostrophe where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at arj or lucan at rolandthunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Wiener. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling. We'll be talking again in two weeks' time with another guest. So stay tuned Enough said.